Our reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 20. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the, to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a, ta as a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So grace and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The story is told of a man who found himself being pulled over by a police officer one day for speeding. But as the officer approached the car and asked him, Sir, I'd like to see some license and registration, please. He said, I have one question, officer. But how long have you been here? The officer responded, Why does that matter? Because I tried to get here as fast as I could. I hope I didn't keep you waiting long. See, there's some questions that are the wrong questions. There's that wrong moment to ask it, or it's just that wrong question. Is this, part, is this dessert part of my diet? Usually the wrong question. Is this the year, the, the season, that the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl? It is always the wrong question. <laughs> so there are some questions that simply find themselves to just always be wrong. So when the disciples come to Jesus today 
and ask him that question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It is the wrong question. I mean, what were they looking for here? In the broad scheme of things, what were they hoping for with this question? That Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Were they looking for kind of a list of kind of character traits of what makes someone great in the kingdom? Were they looking for a name like this is some sort of like weird like Sunday school Bible quiz kind of question of like who's greater, King David or Abraham? I don't know. Like what's, what are they asking? Is that in the broad scheme of things that are they asking the right place if they are asking what it seems to be asking that mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? Jesus, we want you to go ahead and tell us which one of us are your favorites. Is that what the disciples are asking? That who is the greatest? Were they waiting for Jesus to all of a sudden begin to confess, Peter? You always know that you're my favorite, no matter how much and how many times you screw up. I don't think so. That James, John, Andrews, that you know that you're my favorite. I don't think so. So what are they asking here when they come asking that question of who is the greatest? They find themselves asking the wrong question, bickering and fighting, competing, and in so many ways comparing and contrasting one another. And when you look out there in this world to those questions of who is the greatest, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, there's some questions that just happen. I mean, who's the greatest baseball team? I mean, we can all collectively say the Chicago Cubs. Yes, fantastic. Who's the greatest basketball, you know, greatest, you know, basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. Yes, yes. It's that we're all united, right? Or we might ask ourselves that question. That what rule, what measure do you use to judge greatness? Is this a matter of just who's the smartest? Who's the fastest? Who's the one who can get paid the most millions of dollars to do whatever it is with a ball or whatever else we expect them to do? What makes someone great? Because the disciples come today asking that question of who is the greatest. And I'm pretty convinced that they're hoping that Jesus would go ahead and pick one of them. How can they even think this or ask this? Well, how many times do we find ourselves constantly comparing with others or constantly judging ourselves against others? How do we find ourselves over and over again asking how we measure up, how we stack up, how we find ourselves? What would make us successful? What would make us good enough? What would make us this or that? We ask all the wrong kinds of questions. 
Somebody once well put it is that any time that we ask questions of greatness, we are asking the wrong question. But when we ask questions of grace, those questions are those that help us reevaluate, help us look not out there in the world or look to others or just simply how much we're edging that person out or how much better or worse we are from this or that person, but questions of grace honest evaluation of ourselves, and we begin to see that there's an entirely different reality. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul wasn't part of this conversation. He was in a different place in a different time, but the Apostle Paul will gladly say that who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. I am the chief, the foremost, that I am the greatest. Well, he says it a little differently. That in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this, that this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the greatest. The first, the foremost, the chief among them. But Christ Jesus has had grace upon me to display His unlimited patience and mercy that others may see. Then when you look at your life, do you point to your successes? Do you point to those good things? Do you point to those blessings? Do you, are you one of those people that have that license plate that just says blessed? You know, that wonderful reality of everything's going good in your life. Therefore, people should be more like you. Or are you willing to admit with me that maybe life's not going as well as you hoped? Maybe things aren't as easy as we wish. Maybe we don't have things together as much as we like to hope that others believe we do. Are we willing to admit that very fact that we find ourselves in so many times that we need to recognize God's grace toward us, not our success for Him? That we are those who display His goodness, His grace, His mercy, and His peace. I mean, there's a moment in our gospel reading today that I just would love to know how the disciples responded. So they asked the question, who is the greatest? I would love to have seen how they reacted as Jesus begins to scan the crowds. Did you notice? It's a little bit of a pause. Jesus doesn't respond to them immediately. That Jesus begins to scan the crowd and look, and they, this group of beauty queens known as the disciples... (laughs) We're like, it's going to be me, right? They're preparing their speeches. I'd like to thank me for making me so awesome. Now, Jesus begins to scan the crowd. All of a sudden, he starts calling forward a young child. And the disciples are like, who's that kid? What's his deal? What's his story? What makes him so special? 
And Jesus now places this young child in their midst and says, unless you become like him, that you will never enter the kingdom of God. Not that this is a matter of purity or a matter of cuteness or a matter of sweetness. I mean, the broad scheme of things, if that was a competition today, I mean, Evelyn did a good job at our baptism. Is that when that water poured over her head, those eyes went wide, and she looked at me, that image of cuteness. But the fact is, is that what is the greater image that we see here? The image that God gives is that we who believe that we are self-sufficient, independent, self-dependent people, might admit the very fact that we are not as well off as we hope. That just as that child who had to be carried by her parents to the baptismal font today, just as that child was brought here so that God could work in her heart and in her life, so must we also confess and admit that we are those who need Christ to work in our lives not us to work for Christ in our lives. That Jesus invites us to that very evaluation of what are you judging yourself by? What are you measuring in this world? Is that is your measure that very fact of how far our God has gone for you? I mean, can you imagine asking Jesus, so which one of us is the greatest? I think you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> the man who left his throne in heaven to be a child born in a barn, a man who gave up the very wealth of heaven to come and live in poverty and go to those very furthest extents to bring us back, and yet we so often pushed him away. One who came preaching peace and grace and compassion and goodness. And we instead yelled at him, spit upon him, cursed him. In the greatest act of forgiveness, the greatest act of humility and compassion, we see what is greatness in the kingdom of God. That Jesus Christ, given upon the cross, winning for us not what is our success or our achievement, but that very goodness of what He has done for us. That our God invites us today to come and admit our place at His table. That we are but children who are welcomed, children who are unworthy, children who are simply those who need to be brought by Him. That humility is not thinking, of your, thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Let us think more upon Him and His grace and what He has done for us. May we proclaim the proper greatness as He who was the very Lord of all became the servant of all, that we may be forever changed. 
May that very good news of Christ crucified, risen and raised and alive in your life send you forth with that very same peace. And so let us now gather before Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son. Your Son shows to us the very glorious grace of His forgiveness and love, and we thank You that in this time that You are the one who directs us not out there into this world for greatness and success, but we pray that You would direct us to Your cross, that we may see in all things the very gift that we have and the hope that it works. And so guide us and lead us ever as we turn to You, the only measure of our lives. All this we pray in Your Son's name. Amen. For indeed, when the disciples asked that question of who is greatest in the kingdom, they showed how far they were from it. Too often we find ourselves far from thinking the things of God. Too often we think only of the selfish things of mankind. And so today we come for to him, drawing near to him in confession of the greatness of what he has done in our lives the greatness of His very grace, that we may be examples of His very forgiveness. And so I invite you to please join me in confession as we go before our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have too often set our minds on things of man rather than the things of God. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may turn from our pride and humbly come before you as children dependent upon you alone. Amen. That Jesus Christ indeed gave up the kingdom so that he might make you his own. That he was the one who was cast out so that you could be brought in. And so today may you hear those very words that he speaks to you of that forgiveness and grace as he speaks those very words in those, that very called and ordained servant that I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so our Lord invites us to his table today. On that night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the same way also after supper, he took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament to my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. 